Chapter 5 Promise, Obedience, Blessing Sermon 153 Preached Tuesday, the 10th of March, 1556, on Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 2. Now it will come to pass, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God shall set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, if you will hearken to the voice of the Lord your God. We have seen earlier how God covenanted with his people, purposing to bind them so that everyone should know his duty and be the better disposed to perform it. It does not matter whether people plead guilty or not when they have done wrong, for God here gives his determined sentence whether they consent to it or not. Nor does he start off with a condemnation of those who offend the law, but rather he begins with friendly promises, thereby to lure and win the hearts of men to himself. Promise and Duty And so he says, If you hearken to my voice, to obey my commandments, and be careful to keep them, you shall be blessed in all manner of ways, and you shall be surrounded through my favor with all kinds of welfare and prosperity. I have mentioned before that God shows great goodness towards men when he endeavors by such means to win them. It would have been enough for all for him to have said, This is your duty. And all creatures would have to tremble at his speaking. Therefore, when he adds any promises, he sets aside part of his right, and therein humbles himself, that we should be the better disposed and more inclined to serve him. When we have done all that we can, yea, and more than we are able, is God bound to recompense us? Surely not. We must always bear in mind that our Lord Jesus says in St. Luke 17.7, that if a man has a bound servant and he sends him to labor in the field all day long, when the servant comes home at night, will he say, Well, now I must take my turn. You sit down at the table, and I shall prepare your supper and give you your meat and drink. You have labored for me all day, and now it is my turn to serve you. Will the master say this? No, of course not. Rather, when the servant comes home, the master will say to him, Cover the table fix my supper, and give me a drink. Even so, says Christ Jesus, when you have done all that is possible for you to do, don't think in yourself that God my Father owes you anything at all, or that he is obligated to you, but proceed further on, and acknowledge that all you can ever do is but your duty towards him. And indeed, seeing that God has created us, where is the man that can do too much in his service? We see then that God might say plainly, This is what pleases me, and this is my will, you follow this way. And therefore, when he tells us that we shall be blessed, and not lose our labor but have a reward for our service, it cannot be doubted but that in so doing he sets aside some part of his right. So then we may see that he acts as the good and kind-hearted father to win his children, For even though a father knows well that his children are bound to obey him to the uttermost, and that he, on his part, is not in any way bound to obey them, yet he will surely say, I love you, and I only desire your own welfare. Do according to my wishes, and I shall never forsake you. A father will be liberal in his promises, saying, Look, 
you know that all I have is for you. For whom else do I travail, and to what other end? And if I see you take to good ways, I shall reward you accordingly. Thus acts the Father who humbles himself in his authority. And why? Because he wishes that his children should serve him of a free good will, rather than be compelled to it by rigorous extremities. Let us mark, therefore, that all the promises contained in Holy Scripture are, as it were, so many testimonies of the fatherly love of our God, showing himself to have a care for our health and welfare, in that he vouchsafes thus to apply and fashion himself to us. By this means the law of God becomes more friendly to us, in that we see that in keeping it we shall not be disappointed of a good reward, one far greater than we should wish, for under this word of blessing is comprehended all manner of prosperity. Moreover, when God makes us to prosper in this world, it is for no other purpose than to give us a taste of his love toward us. This, however, is not the main point he wants to get across to us. But he leads us ever onward, so that when we feel his goodness in this present life, and that he cares for us, and that he reaches forth his hand to provide all things that are necessary, we ought to conclude from this much more strongly that when he has taken us out of this present world, he will then pour on us the riches of his goodness in another manner than we are now able to comprehend. Indeed, we have in this life some small indications thereof, but the abundant accomplishment of it will be in the kingdom of heaven. Thus you see what we have to consider, in that our God delivers forth his promises to train us the better to serve him of a free good will. The Efficacy of Promise Nevertheless, no matter how the world goes, let us mark that all of God's conditional promises are of no help to us if we stand on them alone, as I told you yesterday. And why? Surely God is faithful and does not speak to deceive us. True. But let us look at ourselves. Where is the man that discharges himself of his duties so well that he may hope to be blessed by God? It is not said, You shall be blessed by keeping part of my law. Rather, the text reads, If you hear my voice and be diligent in keeping all my commandments and fulfill them all, then I will bless you. Now, when we see men endeavoring as much as possible to keep the law of God, this is not due to their own power or natural inclination. For so far removed are they who have not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit from attaining to the service of God, that they cannot so much as conceive a good thought. What is the inclination of man, but a striving against God in all his righteousness? As long as men follow the leading of their own spirits, they do nothing but fight against God as utter rebels against his will. In brief, we are not able as much as to think to do well. 2 Corinthians 3.5. To think is a very small thing, and yet St. Paul here cuts us off even from that power, and shows that we are so corrupted and perversely bent that in all things we move contrary to what God commands us. Insomuch that God has reformed us by His Holy Spirit, and changed our malice and rebellion, to which we were previously wholly inclined, yet still it cannot be said that we proceed to obey Him in all perfection for there is always some infirmity to prevent us. So that instead of running, we halt, and trail our legs after us. Instead of going straight forward, we reel from one side to another. 
and frequently we stumble, as every man can tell for himself. How then can we hope to be blessed by God, being so far from keeping his law? This is why I said that all the conditional promises are utterly powerless, and will never come to their effect if God should rest upon that point. Indeed, this matter was expounded yesterday, and this passage was expressly cited by St. Paul, where it is said that if salvation comes by works, and the inheritance proceeds from the law, there will be no performance of the promises. Romans 4.14 For we fail on our parts, and therefore the covenant is void that God has made with us. Yet we may not conclude that God is mocking us when he sets down these promises, as the papists do at the first opportunity, breaking out of bounds, acting as madmen. For when we say that all the promises contained in holy scriptures are not effectual except by means of the forgiveness of our sins through the free goodness of God, and that we are justified by faith alone, they reply, What? Seeing it is said, I will bless you if you serve me and honor me, it seems that God is being hypocritical and dallying with men. Why should God make such a promise? Thus do the papists accuse God of falsehood and blaspheme him, if they are not able to deserve the promises he has made them on their own merits. For otherwise they would think it is but a mockery to make men believe that he would bless them. But let us beware of such madness, and let us rather understand why God has given his promises to men, and we shall see that it is not in vain. I said before that God has showed his great goodness in humbling himself so lovingly unto us. We pertain wholly to him. We are altogether his, and yet he does not simply command us, but commands with the promises and gentleness to win us. If a man replies to this and says, What does it profit us? I answer, truly it profits us nothing at all if we stay here. But we must go further. When we hear the promises that God has offered to us, and see that his whole intention is to win us through necessity, then we are condemned if we are not thankful, and if we do not bend ourselves wholly to him. But we cannot do it. Well then, are we accursed? No, for it is our own wickedness that prevents us. Every man will condemn himself, says St. James, because there is nothing that provokes us to evil except the concupiscence of our own flesh. Seeing, then, that the fault is in us, we must make no more allegations, and here you see we are confounded before God. Thus you see that we have a double reason to be lowly. First of all, because we are so sinful that God's goodness does not move us to come near Him or to put ourselves under His leading. And second, because we do not search out the bottom of the sin that is in us, in such a way as this. Alas, seeing I have every day so many innumerable thoughts, so many desires and motions, such a store of affections, which serve altogether to turn me away from that good to which God calls me, by reason of which I never cease to offend God in all things, so that nothing can be drawn from me except utter evil, all offense, and all iniquity. Alas, what will become of me? Men, when they see this, must feel themselves doubly confounded. And when they have well examined themselves, they must be driven to think thus, Well, God has laid before me all the means that I can wish to attain my salvation, if I were not altogether corrupt and perverse. And now I cannot plead ignorance, seeing that the law is given to me and the way showed me. 
how I ought to govern myself and how to lead my life, and so that I should be the more willing to do it. God has trained me to it by gentleness, promising that I will be rewarded for serving Him. Is this so? What then is to be done? I must not, in this case, make any further protestation or stand pleading any more against God, for I am too much to blame already. Now, when men find themselves thus condemned, then they are forced to seek their salvation outside of themselves and to resort to this second remedy. Alas, Lord, if the case were such that I should obtain salvation by serving you, you have given me your law and have joined to it your promises. These things, however, avail me nothing. I must therefore forsake myself, acknowledging that I have no hope of life unless I find some better help. See here, I say, how we are led to our Lord Jesus Christ and made to embrace the grace offered us in Him, and that by obtaining forgiveness of our sins we may be sure to be blessed by God. When we have obtained that one favor, that God is at one with us by means of our Lord Jesus Christ, then He does accept our imperfect works as though we had accomplished all the law. Although the good the faithful do is not worthy to be received by God, yet He accepts it as good. Why? because he of his own goodness wipes away all the faults that are in them. So then, when we labor to do well, notwithstanding that it does not lie in our power to attain to perfection because of the exceeding frailty of our natures, yet God will receive our service as acceptable, as though he had nothing to say against it. And so are we made partakers of the blessings that are here mentioned. It is true that we have not fulfilled all the law. But yet God records it in his accounts, as if all had been performed, because we are made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And just as we are cleansed, so are our works also. And when they come before God, he accepts them as though they were thoroughly good, righteous, and perfect. Here, therefore, we perceive that the promises are not given in vain, but that they have their effect in the faithful, not at the first glance but when we come to them by degrees and circumstances, for then we shall feel the effect and force of them. Now concerning unbelievers, the promises avail them nothing except to make them the more unexcusable before God in the last day. For what will they be able to plead, seeing that God has so familiarly offered himself to them, requiring nothing but to have the fruition of their entire lives that they might obey him? And yet, they continue hard-hearted. Do you not see how they stand doubly confounded? And therefore the promises and threats of the law are always good and righteous. Nor are they unprofitable, if a man will take them as they should be taken. But this will be better understood by the discourse that will particularly concern this. The Grace of Law Now let us proceed to expound the words that Moses uses. If you will hear the voice of the Lord your God, and be careful to fulfill all the commandments I command you this day, all these blessings shall come upon you and compass you round about. Concerning the first point, Moses shows what we saw before, namely that the first thing in living well is to hearken to God. For men must not have the rule over themselves saying, I will govern myself after my own liking. We must not take such liberty for he that takes too much upon himself will at the last be rejected by God for not yielding him his due obedience 
which is the foundation whereupon we ought to build. Let us mark, therefore, that all they which follow their own foolish devotions, as they call them, are disliked by God. For Isaiah one twelve must be heard, Who has required these things from you? Let us acknowledge, therefore, that it is an inestimable benefit when God shows us his will, and that the state of the papist is accursed. For when they intend to do well, they do not know which way to turn themselves, but every one follows his own fancy, saying, I hope it will turn out well, for my intention is good, and after all, common custom permits it, and again our Holy Mother Church commands it. But in the meanwhile, the law of God is forgotten. We may learn from this that there is nothing but confusion in the life of man, in which is nothing else than a mingling without order until they are taught of God, as we shall see hereafter. This is the way. Walk in it. Careful Obedience It is said that we must be careful. This phrase was set down once before by Moses, and with good reason it is repeated here again. For we are warned by it that unless men are very heedful of obeying God, and force themselves thereto, and set their whole study thereon in good earnest, they will never attain to keep the law. And we ourselves see what weakness there is in us, even though God does govern us, and even though we are reformed by His Holy Spirit. As for the unfaithful, they are so carried away and so furious in their willful stubbornness that a man would think they should run madly against God. Indeed, and although we are governed by the Holy Spirit, yet we are so frail that it is a pity to see. God requires a great perfection when He wishes us to love Him with all our hearts, to eschew all the vanities of this world and all our fleshly lusts, and in brief to forsake ourselves and to be altogether changed. This is a matter overly high and difficult. Now let us consider what Satan devises and practices to turn us away from the service of God. How many sorts of temptations are there? They are infinite. Again, how severe are the assaults that Satan prepares against us? When we have given consideration to all this, we may well conclude that it is with good reason that God says we must be careful, that every one of us must strengthen himself and gather all our forces together and not think to set forth negligently to the service of our God. For when we think to march one step forward, we shall go a hundred backward if we are not very strong and courageous, holding ourselves in awe and restraining ourselves, and gathering our wits about us so that we bend our minds wholly thereto, and even, as one might say, labor for breath in traveling about it. And moreover, Seeing we are laid about with ambushes on every side, and should be soon taken, so that we might fall into the snares of Satan before we are aware, let us take heed and be watchful. That is what we are warned about here. And would to God that we would carry away this lesson with care. For then, while we are now applying our powers and all our endeavors to things not only frivolous, but altogether harmful, tending to none other end than destruction, then every one of us would be vigilant to walk in the obedience of God, and to give himself wholly thereto. And seeing that we are warned about it, there is no excuse. Shall we then obey our God, and show that our affection is so inclined without deception? 
Let every one of us incline to what is given him in commandment, namely to be careful, vigilant, and attentive. Authority of Office Now he adds, to keep all the commandments that I, Moses, set before you this day, or that I ordain for you. Although Moses is the speaker of this, yet he takes the authority and power to command and to subdue men. This is not anything of his own invention, as if to say that it ought to be received without gainsaying, because he said so. Rather, it is from God, because God speaks by his mouth, and because he himself faithfully delivers the teaching that was committed to him. For that reason, he speaks in such a strong way, saying that they should keep his, that is, Moses's statutes. It does not lie in the power of a mortal man to bind the consciences of people, and yet that is the very thing that has wholly corrupted the church, in that men have usurped the office of God in making laws and statutes for the spiritual government of men's souls. And it is a point of high treason against God for the creature to usurp to himself what pertains only to God, whom the prophet Isaiah termed the lawgiver, Isaiah 33.22, and also St. James in James 4.22, so that we should learn to hearken to him and wholly to depend on his word. Let us mark well, then, that it is not lawful for men to enjoin laws for the souls of other men. But when Moses says, I ordain to you, he presupposes that he is not setting out anything of his own or forging any law out of his own brain, nor is he adding anything to what God has committed unto him, but only that inasmuch as he performed his office faithfully, he might well say, I ordain to you. Just as when we set forth the pure word of God, the very same word is a sovereign commandment. Now, this does not mean that we should usurp any dominion or sovereignty over men's souls, but that in doing service to God we may command in his name and in his person. Thus we see here what Moses' meaning was. And indeed, does it lie within us to promise men life everlasting, or to denounce against them the vengeance of God? And yet we do it nevertheless, but we go no farther than the word of God, as it is put into our mouths. We have his testimony that we are his witness and his heralds. By his witnesses, I mean, we assure the faithful of the grace and salvation promised to them, and as his heralds we pronounce and publish his sentence against all the unbelieving and against all rebels. Therefore, in brief, God meant to show forth the majesty of his word when he appointed Moses to speak in that manner. This was so that we should receive the word of God with more lowliness and reverence when it is preached unto us, not respecting the person, as if someone should say, He is but a man that is speaking. He is just like us, as we are, so is he. But as though we thought thus with ourselves, It is God who speaks by the mouth of this man, therefore let us tremble at his presence. Let us stoop and receive what he says, and seeing he calls us before him, let it serve to bring us to such obedience that we do him homage, to show thereby that we receive what proceeds from his majesty. Let us keep that in mind from this text. Comprehensive Obedience Enjoined Now, here a question might be put forth, why it is said, when you have kept all his commandments. For it is impossible for us to fulfill the law as long as we stand clothed with this mortal flesh. 
As I said before, we shall always be full of vices and imperfections. It seems, then, that it is to no purpose for God to require such a fulfilling of the law, seeing it is impossible. But here we must remember what has been spoken before, which is that God in his law does not respect our might, power, or ability, but our duty, and after what manner our life ought to be governed. And the same ought to suffice us, inasmuch as we say a man will never attain to the perfect obedience of God, but that we are always far from the end of our way. The cause of this is our corrupt nature, which is so infected through original sin, that when we think on God, we are troubled with many fancies, and when we have any good motion, we are by and by plucked back from it, and we do not need any other thing to draw us to the complete antithesis. But does the impossibility of our doing it discharge us of our service that we are bound to perform for God? No, for the evil comes from ourselves. It is no marvel, then, that God in his law should have no regard to man's ability or inability, but rather to the duty we owe him. Nor is it surprising that he would require the right that belongs to him, for where is the man that can deny it to him? God cannot change his nature. If we are rebellious, what does he have to do with our stains and filthiness? But he sets forth such a righteousness that we are not able to reply against. And in his law he sets down a righteousness of a sort different from what he has in himself. He does not have respect to his own righteousness, but to the righteousness that ought to be in his creatures, namely such as in his angels. If we had continued in our integrity and not been perverted and corrupted through sin, then should we have been able to discharge all that God required of us in his law. That is certain. Now then we see how it is with good reason that God will have us keep his whole law. And though it is true that we are not able to perform it, the default proceeds from the sin that dwells in us, as I have shown before. Now, with all this we have to note that since God promises nothing except to those that have obeyed all the law, it would be too incredibly stupid to suppose that we can merit or deserve by doing this or that thing. We must first of all have kept all the law, which is impossible. The papists, however, praise their merits, which they think enable them to purchase the kingdom of heaven. They think that when they have done anything good in their own eyes, God is bound to them. Oh, they say, I have been devoutly at Mass. It is certain that they provoke the wrath of God by so doing, for we know that it is a devilish abomination. Again, I have served such and such a saint, my patron. I have such and such a chapel. And they think that by so doing, they earn heaven. Truly, all these things are but a despising of God. They are satanic superstitions by which the service of God is thoroughly defaced. But let us suppose that the papists did well in their dallying with such garbage. Would God be bound to them for it? It is needful for them to consider what court their evidence must pass before. For it is not for us to bridle him, or to tie him to the stake, or to subdue him to our fantasies. It must proceed from his own good will. Now then, what has he said? When you will have kept all my commandments, then shall these blessings come upon you. Let every one of us look at how he has kept the commandments of God. Let the papists brag as much as they like. Can they say that they have accomplished a hundredth part of them? 
If they have kept one of God's commandments, they have offended him and a hundred sins for it. And if they are but one fault committed, though it be ever so small, they are faulty in all, as St. James says in James 2.10, that he who breaks the law in only one point is guilty of having broken all of it. Seeing, then, that they are offenders, they are deprived and banished from all the blessings that God has set forth, even from those that concern only this present transitory life, and much less are they able to earn the kingdom of heaven, as they imagine, being not able to deserve one morsel of bread put into their mouths. They are thus shut out of all. And why? Because God has not promised anything except to them that keep all his entire law. God as Judge and Father How shall we live then? We must hear God speak after some other fashion. That is, we must hear him speak the free promises he offers to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. God in the Holy Scripture uses a double kind of speech, by which I do not mean that he contradicts himself, or that he is contrary to himself, or that one of his sayings is repugnant to any other. For God always remains the same, and, as I have said before, he changes not. All the words that proceed from him agree together very well, without any contradiction. Nevertheless, concerning his law, there he has spoken as a judge and not as a father. In his law he speaks as a judge, saying, He who lives as he ought will not be deceived. He will not lose his labor. For when you have done me service, I will cause you to prosper. In such a way does God speak in the person of a judge. And when we receive this word, behold, we are confounded, no matter how things stand. And why? Because we do not have the ability to obtain the grace that is offered to us, and we cease not to kindle God's wrath against us, and therefore we shall all be damned. What is to be done then? God comes, speaking as a father, and says, Well, I am content to forbear this rigor, which I might execute upon you by my law, even though that rigor is not overly great, for I have given myself so far to you as to promise what is not your due. I have been willing, as it were, to entice you by friendly means, but I have won nothing thereby because of your perversity. What is the remedy then? I come now to tell you that if you will believe in my Son, I will release you of all your debts. If you will receive him as your shepherd, that he may guide you quietly, you will perceive that I do not desire to win you in any way other than by gentle and friendly dealings. It is as if I should say, Come to me, and I will forgive you all your sins and accept you into favor. And although you are miserable creatures, deserving utter damnation, yet I will completely forget and bury all your offenses. And when I have done that, I promise to beget you anew by my Holy Spirit. And this grace shall be given to you by means of my only Son, if you labor to come to him. And then, even though you are driven to strive against many temptations, and at first encounter you will not have full victory over them, but will be surrounded with many spots and vices, yet I will not lay any of these things to your charge. I forgive your sins, and the good that you do shall be acceptable to me through my favor, even though it deserves nothing. See here the second kind of speech that God uses toward us in the Holy Scriptures. Let us note, therefore, that when we hear the voice of God and know that we owe Him, 
and hear the promises that he has made to us in his law, we must stand confounded and condemned, since none of those things can avail us because of our unthankfulness. Thus, we must have our refuge in the free mercy offered to us in our Lord Jesus Christ, and hearken to God when he speaks to us, which he does both in the law and in the prophets as well as in the gospel, saying, I of my own mere goodness have become your Savior, and you must seek your salvation from someplace other than in yourselves. After all, the Redeemer promised by God was always kept before the minds of men, that they might rest on him. That is why the sacrifices were ordained in the time of the law. For although Christ was not yet displayed openly to the whole world, yet did the Jews understand that all the hope of their salvation depended upon their reconciliation to God by means of the sacrifice that was to be offered. They brought brute beasts to the temple. Was that to cleanse the uncleanness of their souls? No, of course not. But under these figures, the Jews saw how they would be delivered from the curse of God and admitted into his favor, and should be acceptable to him. And now we have a more certain testimony of this in the gospel. For there we see the thing itself fully accomplished for us, namely, that although we have not kept the commandments, Jesus has kept them. And why did he do so? Because he was subject to it? No, because he became subject to the law for our sakes. So then, let us have our recourse unto our Lord Jesus Christ, and let us hear God speaking in such a way that he not only says, These are the things that I command you, and if you do them, then you shall prosper and be blessed, but also where he says, Behold, I am your Father, come to me, but come in the name of my only Son, whom I have appointed to be your mediator, and acknowledge that there is nothing else in you but corruption, and do not trust in your own power or in your own free will, but casting away all foolish fantasies of vain presumption, come with lowliness to see the grace of my Spirit. Then you will be sure that I always uphold you by my goodness, and from day to day confirm you in my fear, and make you to walk in my ways, so that I will not lay to your charge the faults of your works. They shall not hinder my blessing towards you. Not that you should not confess your transgressions, and always acknowledge before me that you are sinful, but that your sin shall not be laid to your charge even though there might come occasions why they should be called to reckoning to be reproved by me. Such is the second voice of God, to which we must hearken if we desire to become partakers of the blessings that are here contained. Here, by the way, we must note as a conclusion that although the faithful are exempted from the curse of God, so that he will not deal rigorously with them, but rather uphold them and make them to enjoy the blessings he has promised in his law, as though they had fully accomplished the same, yet they cease not to suffer many stripes of his rod. And our Lord chastises them continually, exercising some after one manner, and some after another, so that all are smitten. And all the chastisements God sends us are cures, every one of them, at least to outward appearance. If we are sick, if we are hungry or thirsty, if we are tormented in this present world, if we are troubled and persecuted, all these are the curses of God. Our enemies scoff at us. We are in reproach, in poverty, in vexation, and in many anguishes. One is troubled in his house by his wife, another by his children, and another by his neighbor.
Finally, the faithful are in many ways deprived of the blessings of God. It is certainly so. This, however, does not prevent us from being ever more blessed by Him, because we have a continual taste of His goodness to allure us to Him. Let us note well, therefore, that when He cuts off His blessings and does not give them as we wish, this is for our profit, because He sees that we have need of some quickening to make us come to Him. And since every one of us will fall asleep in our sins, God is determined to awaken us and to make us feel that as soon as we withdraw from his service, he will also absent himself from us, and that his grace will be taken away from us, and we stand dispossessed of it. Never, however, so utterly that the blessings of God will not overcome, so that we may rejoice therein, acknowledging him to be merciful, and waiting upon his fatherly goodness, which will be shown more amply when he will take us again to himself. Thus you see how we may possess and enjoy the blessings of God, which are set forth for us in his law. And when we see that our Lord interlaces these blessings with many afflictions and corrections, as though he had cursed us, we must realize that his purpose in this is to provoke us day by day to repentance, and to keep us from falling asleep in this present world. We know that our pleasures make us drunken and unmindful of God unless He constrains us by pricking and spurring us forward. Thus you see how things that at first sight seem contraries agree very well in fact. And in that respect does Moses say that these blessings shall light upon us and encompass us round about, as if he had said that we will always be certain of God's favor so certain of it that it shall never fail us if we serve him. For the word encompass, or to light upon us, overtake, in Deuteronomy 28.2, indicates that the grace of God is not fleeting, as though it fell at random, and as though we would not be able to catch it. No, says Moses, you shall be surrounded or encompassed with it. And therefore let us assure ourselves that the goodness of our God shall never fail us, so that we can never come to the goodness unless he draw us to himself. And since we are subject to so many infirmities and vices, he, by bearing with us, shows us that we must have recourse to his free goodness for the forgiveness of our sins, by the reconciliation that he has made in our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we, in straining ourselves to do his will, shall perceive that the goodness of God does not cease to be free to us without owing us anything at all. Prayer. Now let us fall down before the majesty of our good God, with acknowledgement of our sins, praying Him to make us feel them more than we have done before, that being beaten down, and as it were drowned in despair, we may be drawn to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and knowing that we are altogether empty and naked of all goodness, let us beseech Him to renew us by His Holy Spirit until we are fully changed. Let us pray that we be more and more increased in His grace, so that we may have testimony that God regards us and is near to us and dwells in us, and that we may be confirmed in His adoption, that we may always wait for the heavenly inheritance and not be weary in this world to walk in His obedience, that it may please Him to bestow this grace not only upon us but also upon all people and nations of the earth, etc.